0: The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com.
1: A swing and a drive to deep right, away, back, go!
0: UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the longest-running Internet radio program in America, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show for this week. Glad to have you along. I am Dave Mitchell, and we are pleasantly surprised at the way the Cleveland Indians have been playing over the last week. It seems like maybe the curse that was lifted on the city of Cleveland by the Cavaliers a week ago, winning the world's championship in the NBA. May have caused the Indians to play with a little more relief. Who knows? But they've won nine in a row. winning. That's what their winning streak is up to. And as that once famous manager of the Cleveland Indians in Major League, Lou Brown, once said,
1: we're contenders now.
0: (laughs) Indians are five games up. The Reds, well, they're 20 games out as we head into action tonight, and we bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? Well,
2: I'm really dismayed, Dave, um, at your your attitude, your your gloating, as it were, um, about the Indians and and just rubbing the Reds' nose in it. And the other thing I I have to say here, that um, don't forget – that you withdrew your, your support of the Indians as recently as three weeks ago when you said, you know, Mark, I've changed my mind. Yeah, I picked them on our selection show, but I've changed my mind. The Indians just won't do it. I think I'm quoting there pretty accurately. And now they win nine in a row and Dave Mitchell is now supportive of the Indians again. Dave like millions of your fans across the world who listen to our show, I am confused.
0: Mark, this is an election year. I I can <laughs> afford to be a waffler this year. <laughs> Everyone else is, why not me? All right. Well, I, you know, that
2: I admire your honesty and your integrity to admit that, but in in all seriousness, uh, I've watched the Indians play two or three games over the weekend, uh, and, and and they're really, really playing well. You know, it, you look at that team, and you, you don't, like two or three years ago when the Indians had just horrendous defense, which cost them, I, I think, probably a, a spot in the playoffs, or they had spotty hitting, or they had spotty pitching. Yeah, Dave, I'll tell you, it's hard to find a weakness in this team.
0: Mark, I, I would almost tend to agree with you on that. I mean, this team has accomplished so much in the month of June, and we're not even out of it. But what a lot of people do not realize, Mark, is they're done playing at home in the month of June. Mark, they finished 11-0 and in the month of June at home at Progressive Field. No Indians team ever has finished a month unbeaten, and this Indian team's, did 11 and 0 this month? I don't know. Do you know if the Reds ever did that during their heyday or any other time? So yeah, actually, I, a, I do remember.
2: I, I, actually, I do remember a long winning streak at home, which was included an in undefeated. I have to look that up because the Reds have done something like that. But you know, I would bet the Indians teams of the, of the mid 90s may have done something close to that. Uh, maybe not 11 and 0. But uh, they had some unbelievable winning records at home, if you recall, and that's when they sold that joint out for it seemed like uh, a million years. But, uh, you know, the crowds are coming back, the attendance is up, and, uh, you know, there's maybe exciting second half of the season and wait for Cleveland fans.
0: Well, right now it, it's been a lot of fun. Mark, I, I kind of was jesting about the fact that the Cavaliers win a world's championship and the Indians are playing more relaxed baseball. But do you think maybe I, I, I'm on to something there? A lot of people think that maybe that has, since the curse now is off of Cleveland, that will put the Indians more at ease that they don't have to be the first team to win a world's championship. And I'll tell you what, since last Sunday night, Mark, they've won nine straight. I mean, you can't really argue with the results.
2: Well, you can't argue with the results, but I, I don't believe in leprechauns either. So I, I think the, <laughs> the, what, what the Indians are doing They'd be doing whether the Indian or the uh, uh, Cavaliers had won or lost that series, that they're just a good baseball team and they're going to beat teams that aren't as good. And that's what I think Cleveland fans ought to be excited about. I mean, yeah, I think the enthusiasm for the, what the Cavs did is great. I don't think it has much to do, frankly, with what the Indians have done because they can stand on their own. I mean, you look across the landscape of the, particularly the American League, and there is not a team better than Cleveland right now. Now, that As you and I well know, you know, you're 10, a 10 game losing streak away from being, you know, back at 500 again. But, uh, this team, starting with their pitching and and pitching, both the starting pitching and the bullpen, it's, it's as solid as anything in the American League. You look at their hitting. They're getting not only good hitting, they're getting timely hitting. They're getting big hits at big times. And then the, the, the defense, I, I know you don't like the outfield defense. But certainly the infield defense has been playing very well. They're turning double plays. They're stealing bases. They're everything you want of a team. This team has now. I don't know what the. I mean, they what they hit four home runs yesterday.
0: Hit four home um, runs in the fifth inning.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was going to say prior to this that maybe they don't have the the kind of power depth that you would want. You, know, a guy hit thirty or forty home runs, but. Uh, overall, there's power. I mean, when your shortstop's stops hitting home runs and second baseman is hitting home runs, you know you've got some depth in, in your power. And I saw Santana went deep the other day. So you're, you're getting it up and down the lineup, and that's really what you want. You want consistency so you can't pitch around one guy to get to another. And that's why I'm impressed with the Indians. And, and, and more to the point, you know, Kansas City has come back to earth. Uh, they're not playing as well as they did last year. I doubt they will. I think you and I both said we thought they overproduced last year. Uh, the White Sox, I don't think, are as good as Cleveland. Um, you know, there's. You look at the landscape in the American League, I can't think of a team that matches up with Cleveland. Uh, maybe you know it you know better than I do, but what do you, who do you think is the next best team in,
0: in, in the American League? Well, I don't think Texas is an afterthought. I don't either. I don't yeah, they're, they're nine games up in their division. I don't think Baltimore is either. Baltimore seems to be a surprise to some people, but I'm not sure Baltimore's starting pitching is up to par. Mark, during this nine-game winning streak, do you realize the Indians have had five complete games? During the nine-game winning streak, the Indians have had nine complete games. Their bullpen, literally during the nine-game winning streak, has thrown only, get this, six innings. In nine games. it's amazing. The it, Reds it in,
2: typically throws six innings a game uh, until recently. I mean, the, the starting pitching is getting a little better. But, uh, you know, when you look at what Cleveland is doing and what the Reds are doing, you can see the enormous chasm between what a good baseball team looks like and what a really bad baseball team looks like. Now, the, this, the interesting thing is when you go down the lineup – of both teams the, the reds offensively are not that far behind cleveland but i agree it but, but it's when they get the hits they don't get key hits and they can be pitched to and you, you have your best player you're paying 22 million dollars a year to hitting 244 with 11 home runs you know going into july and the, the joy is, is he's i'm with joy Vado, i mean it, it really is And so you have to look at those teams on a comparison basis and make the conclusion the Reds are really years away from being where the Indians are.
0: Mark, you and I have talked over the past couple of days about a trade that supposedly is, well, not supposedly, but supposedly being worked on. It's being talked a lot up here in Cleveland, but as you're saying, it's not being talked about at all in the Cincinnati area, and that is a possible deal between the Indians and the Reds, sending Jay Bruce, Anthony Sangrani, along with someone else whom we haven't been able to figure out, from the Reds to Cleveland. For so far, all we know is Tyler Naquin. Now, I've heard a lot about it up here in Cleveland that they're they're all for this deal. Tyler Naquin's playing outstanding baseball right now for the Indians. I think he'd be a great addition. To the Reds team, depending upon where it is they want to play him, because right now he's a center fielder. But you say you're not hearing anything down in Cincinnati about this deal.
2: I, I looked all weekend, didn't see a thing about it. I, I, I did see something about it on the national, uh, some of the you know the rumor mill type sites, but nothing nothing out of Cincinnati for it. But I'm wondering at this point, what's to be gained by the Indians with that trade? Uh, Naquin's playing well. You, you're on a nine-game winning streak. You got what, what, how many games are you ahead in first place? Five. Okay. I mean, I, I, where does Jay Bruce fit into that? Uh, he, he's a right fielder, and he's not going to do much more than Naquin is doing. I, I don't think. If you add, a, if you do a WAR comparison between the two. Now, having said that, Jay Bruce is having the best year he's had in probably five years. I think 279. 17 home runs, almost, I think he's 58 RBIs now. I mean, he's having one heck of a year. But I'm just wondering what does Cleveland gain this far into the season by having a Jay Bruce?
0: Mark, I agree with you. And it, it seems like the national media all the time talks about this July 31st, August 1st. Trade deadline, and they see the contenders, and they think every team has to go out and do something to bolster themselves. And quite honestly, Mark, I've never could understand the the rationalization behind that because some teams, I think, just don't have to do anything.
2: I agree with you, and I think the now the other thing about Jay Bruce is he's up for free agency next year, so you give up Tyler Naquin. For a guy you could have for a year, maybe I think there's you can get a one-year option, I think, for $13 million for 2017. Is it worth it for a year and a half for Jay Bruce? It might be, but you're giving up a a young talent at a low price that I don't think is going to be substantially different than Bruce. In fact, you could argue that maybe he's got more speed than Bruce. Uh, He's probably not the defensive player Bruce is, but offensively, it sounds like he's going to hit 10, 15, 20 home runs a year. Uh, driving 60, 70, 80 runs, and might be a a higher batting average player than than Jay Bruce is. So uh, as a Reds fan, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Jay Bruce. He's a good citizen. He he hustles. I like the way he plays, and he's got tremendous talent. But he is going to be too expensive for the Reds in a a rebuilding mode, so you have to face reality. If you could get Naquin for Jay Bruce, I'd make that deal if I was a Reds fan.
0: Well, and, and another thing is, Mark, you and I discussed this off the air. Tony Cingrani is involved in this deal, which I understand. From the Indians' point of view, they want another left-hander in the bullpen. But supposedly there's another reliever coming from Cincinnati to the Indians in this deal. And and you and I have talked. Who in the world would the Reds be sending as a reliever to the Indians <coughs> that the Indians would be able to use that the Reds aren't?
2: Well, it's probably J.J. J. Hoover.
0: Uh, oh wow oh, oh, but, but he oh, he's got a 12 oh, ERA, so where, I'm not sure you want him. Where um, is the trash can?
2: <laughs> I know. Now I oh. don't know anybody on the Reds bullpen um, that you guys would want. I can't. I mean, take what you want. I'd say now on Singrani, uh, he is a guy. Yesterday he threw 97, you know, four or five times yesterday. He was bringing it, and he has he's got the arm. Uh his his ERA is three seven nine, uh he's blown five saves. He does have nine saves to his credit. Uh granted the closer role is new to him this year and you have to become accustomed to that. He came in yesterday and just blew those guys away. So he's he's got blow away stuff if you can control it. So I think he would be a, a huge asset for Cleveland. I really do. That would be I, I would look at him as a guy that has real value. Now he's still a young man, and so you know, young, hard-throwing left-handers are hard to find. I mean, if if this guy came to a tryout camp throwing ninety-seven, he's six-five, and he's left-handed, he'd be a number one draft pick. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but he hasn't had the opportunity to establish himself either as a starter or a bullpen guy, and that's the Red's fault. You know, they've moved him back and forth. So I think he's a, he's a much bigger piece to that uh, to that trade if there is one. Uh, than than maybe first noticed.
0: And another thing, too, is, Mark, is that Billy Hamilton is playing. He's having a good year Mm -hmm. for the Reds. I mean, he's hitting around .280. He's doing a great job defensively. You're not going to take him out of center field for Tyler Naquin. As much as I like Tyler Naquin in center field for the Indians, he's not going to play center field in Cincinnati for the Reds. It's going to be Billy Hamilton. So Naquin is is a good outfielder. I think he's I think he's a decent outfielder. He's not gonna play right field for the Reds. If he's gonna play anywhere in the outfield for Cincinnati, it would be in left field, which means then you've got a dilemma as to what to do with Adam Duval. And then that brings the rest of of everything just toppling down because then that's good that this could be the precursor to a lot of moves that the Reds would make.
1: Yeah,
2: and, and I think there's a lot of things going on um,
0: behind the scenes with
2: the Reds. Uh, the draft they had was really a solid draft. I mean, they, they got some real talent in that draft, and that overnight changed the dynamics and the, and the 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 ability to do stuff with your 40-man roster because you've got some guys that are coming on strong. And a couple of these guys I think could be in the big leagues within two years. I think you'll see some of these guys – maybe as soon as 2018 up here. <laughs> so that kind of flexibility changes what you do. And if the draft had not been so good, uh, maybe you would take a different strategy. But the Reds are going to have a lousy year this year again. They're going to get a high draft pick again next year. And next year's draft is as good as this year's draft. And I think the the timeline for their recovery, as it were, is going to be much, much quicker and so that that does change how you look at trades. Uh, this team, if, if some of these young players come up in 2018, you don't have to make a, a lot more trades. You can keep what you have. You can keep your talent, and you know start building around a lineup that could include, you know, in, in 2018, offensively you could have some real, you know, some real firepower in, in that lineup. Uh, Brandon Phillips will be gone, Zach Kozart will be gone, Jay Bruce will be gone, but there are guys who can now step into those roles. And, you know, perhaps the biggest addition to this team so far this year has been Adam Duvall. And he's got 21 home runs now, close to, what, 55, 60 RBIs. Uh, he's sitting 260, 270. He's, and Dave, the thing that, you know, you talk about defense all the time. The thing that amazes me about Duvall, he can play defense. He's fast. He's got a great arm from left field. I mean, he's a former third baseman, so he can he can throw. And uh, he's, he got some speed. And I cannot believe the Giants gave up on this guy for a six-month rental of Mike Leak. And, he's, you know, he's on pace to hit 44 home runs this year. And he probably ended up around 30, 35. But that's still, in this day and age of no steroids, that's a very, very valuable commodity.
0: You know, Brian Sabian is normally a person that is really making steals, but that one, the Reds really made a steal in getting on Adam Duvall. But you've been saying over the last couple of weeks that his natural position is third base. So if you move him to third to put Naquin in left, let's just say, then you've got the avenue to move Suarez to short or second, and that opens up the whole deal about, trading away Cozart and or Phillips, and then you've got first base with Joey Votto, which I'm sure some some people would want to get rid of, you know, maybe grab him also. I think, you know, Joey, I think, has got a focus problem. The more I've watched him this week, Mark, you know, it's got to be hard for a ball player that is making that kind of money to get themselves up each and every game. I'm not using that as an excuse. I'm just saying it's got to be difficult, but as a professional, you've got to figure out a way to do it
2: yeah there's something there is something seriously wrong with his swing, and I don't know what he's trying to accomplish with this tomahawk chop swing of his, but it's it's I went back and looked at him from three or four years ago it's not it's a it's a different ball player, and he's he's crouched over he, before he was more upright, really getting power into his swing and driving the ball I mean don't forget this guy had thirty five home runs a few years ago. He's not even going to come close to that this year. I, I, I doubt he hit 20 home runs this year, and but he's choking up all the time, and I I don't know what's in his head. But if I were the manager, I would I would call him in and say, no, we want you to be the hitter that we signed for 20, you know, 200 million dollar contract, and and you can do that. You can make them. You know, I'm, we're not going to play you unless you do what we tell you to do. But one guy you've forgotten uh, is Peraza. And I would say Peraza is going to go to short, and Suarez would go to second. I think that would be uh, the the lineup, and then Duval at third base. Uh, he he could be a fixture at third base. He's a good fielder, good a good, good defensive third baseman, uh, which is na- his natural position. And then the outfield. Uh, if you did get a Nick one, you could put him in left field. Uh, you have Billy Hamilton in center, and then you want to go out and get a right fielder. But don't forget, uh, the Reds have a number of outfielders in the minor leagues that they can come up with and, uh, you know, uh, do something uh, not on the level of, of Jay Bruce, but uh, I'm not worried in, in trying to find an outfielder for the Reds.
0: Well, the Reds are 29-47 and 47 going into tonight's action. They were 2-4 and four last week. And honestly, Mark, how would you like to go 2-4 and four in a week and gain a game? <laughs> they were 21 games out last week. They go 2-4 and four this week. They're 20 games out now.
2: Well, you know, let's just talk about that. Why is that? It's because the, the Cubs may have come to Earth a little bit. Uh, they got swept the last series, and you know they're they're still an outstanding ball team. But every every team, I don't care how good it is, they go through periods like this. Now, of course, they come into Cincinnati this week, and that will get them back on a winning winning track. <laughs> but uh, you know, the Cardinals, they, the Cardinals hang in there. And they're still a long way behind the Cubs, but it wouldn't surprise me that they put pressure on the Cubs and they actually, uh, you know, get a wild card. It wouldn't surprise me. They get a ways to go, but uh, you know, the Cardinals are, I think, the best organization in baseball, and I think.
0: You know, you know what's interesting, Mark. You bring up the Chicago Cubs, and I was going to bring this up in the second half hour, but I might as well go into it now. They're going to go with a six-man starting rotation through the All-Star break to give their pitchers an extra day rest in between starts. You like that or not yeah, like that? I,
2: I do like that. I think with the lead they have, they're, they're clearly going to win the division. Nobody's going to catch them. Uh, and, you know, when you have guys like at Garietta and the two left-handers they've got, um, the, yeah, I think that's a smart move. Uh, it's It's the accumulation of innings over a long period of time that wears down your pitching staff. And if you can give those guys an extra day's rest and recovery, like Di Scafani the other day threw 118 pitches yesterday. And I was thinking about that exact thing that I don't know if those Reds really have an off day or not, but they didn't. I would consider, especially after recovering from surgery, pushing him back a day and giving that guy after a, a, you know a long, arduous 90-degree day throwing 118 pitches, yeah, give him an extra day. And I wish wish teams would do that more often. They seem to push these pitchers until they break. And then they say, okay, we'll give them a rest. Well, why not do it before they break? And and I I think the Cubs are smart to do that.
0: Well, and the Indians are doing pretty much the same thing. They're going to give a spot start to someone in the minor leagues because Kluber threw a complete game the other night. He threw over 118 pitches. Trevor Bauer did the same thing, and he was around 113. Danny Salazar did the same thing. They're going to give him an extra day off. And, of course, Carrasco is coming back from that hamstring injury. So it helps every pitcher when you do that. You give them an extra day off, and it just helps everyone down the totem pole. But as you said, the Cubs right now have got a nine-game lead on St. Louis. Mark San Francisco an eight-game lead over the Dodgers, that that's almost unbelievable right now with the talent that the Dodgers have on that team that San Francisco is up on them so much. But you know what? When you look at that starting staff that the Giants have, not only is it comparable to what the Dodgers have, but Johnny is back to the old Johnny Cueto.
2: Well, he is pitching well. Uh, I saw him pitch uh, about a week ago, and uh, he was overpowering. But you bring up a very interesting point regarding the Los Angeles Dodgers. Is there a greater uh, underperforming team in baseball? Is there any team that is underperforming at the level they are, given their payroll? It's and, and their roster. It's unbelievable that they uh, cannot seem to put a winning roster together with all they've got to to have. I mean, it, it, it's just I've never seen anything like it in. in the last 20 years in baseball.
0: And they blamed it all on Don Mattingly a year ago. Yeah, there, there's something going on there
2: uh, with that organization that uh, you have a payroll that is almost three times, as an example, what the Reds' payroll is. And you expect the Reds not to be competitive because they, they're they going through a rebuild. But the, but the Dodgers, with the payroll, and they just let uh, the guy... From Boston, they got several years ago. He, he's so famous, I've forgotten his name. The left fielder.
0: Oh, uh, Carl Crawford. Uh, Carl,
2: Carl Crawford. Yeah, they let him go and walk away from a huge contract. Uh, I mean, what what a horrific series of bad signings that team has gotten itself into. Now, fortunately, they're in the biggest market in baseball, and they can draw from a huge area, and uh, it it overcomes a lot of management sins, but. Uh, it's really remarkable when you look at uh, how the way Puig is performing. And this guy, everybody thought he was going to go directly to the Hall of Fame. And last time I looked, he was hitting two forty, and he's, he's a nutcase. So <laughs> I don't know. He's
0: he's an ESPN fascination,
2: I guess. But you remember when he first came up? Was it three years ago? Uh, it seems it has been much longer than that. I mean, he was hitting like three seventy five for a long period, and hitting triples and diving in the bases and great defense great throws and he's just melted down I, I don't know what's happened to the guy
0: i think the league adjusted and he didn't
2: yeah that's typically the formula for failure you know the the league does adjust and, and he when i heard him talk on tv he he's not a bright person <laughs> and i just wonder if uh you know it's interesting the 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 guys who seem to survive in this league and flourish over a long period of time are guys who can put back-to-back, complex sentences together. And the other ones seem not to succeed as much or as long. You look at a Barry Larkin. You know, Barry Larkin went to Michigan. He's a smart guy, Hall of Famer, he's so articulate. And then there are guys who just aren't. And some of those guys succeed because of their great talent, but many of them, and I'm going to use Matt Latos as an example, Matt Latos had a million dollar arm, and you know the rest of that story. Mm-hmm. So those guys don't succeed, and uh, that's why I'm glad. You know the Reds drafted some kids out of college. They got some smarts, and uh, those guys I w- I would bet company money on more than a kid who never went to college and, and frankly isn't too bright.
0: Barry Larkin had one character flaw. He went to Michigan. <laughs> That's the only character flaw Barry Larkin had. Mark, you know, we've talked about Adam Duvall. We've talked about Jay Bruce. The all-star vote is going to be up the end of this week. Every team's got to have a representative. Obviously, the Reds are only going to have one. Is it Duvall or is it Bruce? I think
2: it's Bruce. Uh, I think he's, he's earned it over a longer period of time. Uh, Duvall, notwithstanding his numbers, um, I, I think if, if, if there is going to be one, and I think there can only be one, uh, it's going to be Jay Bruce. He's earned it. Uh, he's come back from a, a knee surgery that was far more serious than people thought it was, and it, it really took him uh, much more than a year to recover, which is not unusual from knee surgery. I've had knee surgery. I know it, it just saps the power out of your legs, and that's that's what a hitter's all about. People think it's your hands and your arms, and that has something to do with it, but your power comes from your butt and your thighs and your calves and your ankles. That's where you drive into the ball, and when you have knee surgery, you lose that. And I think it affected his swing. It certainly impacted the speed on the bases and in the outfield. And again, he's playing great defense. I mean, he really is playing outstanding defense. He gunned a guy down. He threw a ball probably 300 feet on the fly right to the catcher the other day. It threw a seed. And uh, I'm really happy for him because I like him. I think he's a great guy, and it would it'll be sad when the Reds lose him. But he's the kind of citizen you want on the team and in the clubhouse. Everybody likes him. You never hear a bad thing out of Jay Bruce. He's, he's just he's the right kind of player in this era.
0: Mark, about 15 years ago, the Cleveland Indians manager was Charlie Manuel, and the Indians decided after that 2001 season and into the 2002 season that they were going to go to a youth movement. And they started unloading salaries. They started going to the youth movement. Charlie Manuel lasted about half the season. And when the Indians would not commit to him as the manager long-term, he just quit in the middle of the season. Mark, I see the similarities right now. Between where Charlie Manuel was at that point in time and where Brian Price is right now with the Cincinnati Reds, you know, I was. If you're going to go through a rebuilding situation, you have got to let your manager know that he is the guy long term. And if he's not, get the guy in that is long term so that he can build with the team that you're building with. It's almost. I, I think it's it's unfair. To hang Brian Price out there, being that his contract is the up is up at the end of this year, is he the type of guy Mark that would would walk away from this job and just say, look, you know, if you're not going to commit to me long term, why should I commit to you through the rest of the season?
2: I think that would be the kiss of death for him as a potential manager for other teams down the road. Um, that's leaving a sinking ship uh, and not completing your obligation to an organization, I I think that would be a very bad career move for him. So, And I think he's too classy of a guy to do that. At the same time, he's he's a great pitching coach. And there's always going to be – he'll always have a job in baseball uh, because of that. So, yeah, I think the Reds – with what they have coming up now in the next two or three years in terms of their farm system, the team will be competitive again. And the question is, do you want to use him as your your manager to build around, or do you go to a Jim Riggleman who's waiting in the wings, former manager? And by the way, remember what Riggleman did with, with, with Colorado, but he was managing them and walked away from his contract. Washington. Washington. Yeah, right. Washington and he, he hasn't gotten a job since, So, and he was an experienced manager. But that, that kind of thing owners don't forget. And so I think Brian Price is way too smart to do that. But at the same time, if you look down the road and you say, okay, next year our legitimate goal is to finish above 500 Maybe one, one or two games. We won't make the playoffs, but we, you'll see improvement. And then you use 2018 as the year, okay, we're going to win the division. Now, if that's the case, if that's your decision corporately, is Brian Price the guy that can manage a division winning and, and conceivably world championship team? The, the answer is we don't know because he's never done it. So if you, if you are using the mentality 2018's our, our year, Do you bring in a guy, I'm not suggesting him, but a guy with a pedigree like Joe Madden or Lou Pinella or somebody like that who's done it, somebody of that ilk, and put them in place next year in preparation for the 2018 season where you're going to be competitive as a world championship team? Those are the decisions the front office has to make.
0: That being said, If the front office comes to Brian Price at the end of this year and says, we want to renew your contract, or sometime during this season, we want to renew your contract for one more year. If you're Brian Price, do you accept that, or do you hold out for another two or three years? Because this is obviously, like you said, 2018-2019 is the absolute earliest that this team can get back into contention, according to you and I. But if the front office feels the same way that you and I do, If you're Brian Price, do you hold out for a two- or three-year extension, or do you go with the one-year? Oh,
2: you definitely go with the one-year. Because don't forget, I think that a plus 500 season in 2017 would be, you know, a reason to keep him on board for 2018 and 19. But you don't want to cut off your nose and spite your face. I mean, if if you're Brian Price and the Reds say, okay, we're going to give you 2018, and if you don't finish 500 or above, you're gone. We'll tell you that right now. If you do, you're in. Uh, I mean, that's, if they don't say it, it's certainly going to be implied. Yeah, you you don't turn down a chance to manage another year in the big leagues for any number of reasons, but especially when you have a team, you know, you you don't want to be Dave Bristol in 1969 with the Cincinnati Reds. You know, when he got fired, he got into a, you know, he got into a problem with ownership. And had he stayed one more year, he would have managed the Big Red Machine. Now would they have won with him? Yeah, I think they would. I think Dave Bristol was a better manager, frankly, than Sparky Anderson. Uh, so he would have been a legendary manager had he stayed on for one more year. But he got he got fired in '69, right when they were you know ready to make the big move. So yeah, the, all this stuff is very strategic. These guys are baseball lifers. They they know how it works and. You know, you don't want to be fired by, by the Reds and then the team go off and win four world championships and say, gee, it could have
0: been me. Well, we'll talk more about Sparky and the, the Reds from the 70s coming up here in just a little bit. But, Mark, we talk about the all-star team. The Reds, who's going to make it? For their team, the Indians, that's another question because they've got five or six guys that could conceivably be on the All-Star team, and a lot of them are pitchers. You, you could conceivably take, I don't think Corey Kluber is an All-Star contender. I don't think Carrasco is either. But, Mark, you could conceivably see Josh Tomlin, who got his ninth win yesterday, and Danny Salazar, who has won eight games this year, both on the All-Star team. I think you're going to see Francisco Lindor on the All-Star team as a backup shortstop. On Saturday, Mark, he had the first two-home run game of his career. And I'm not talking about major leagues. I'm talking about minor leagues. As a matter of fact, when they asked Lindor, he couldn't remember a game that he's ever played as long as he's lived where he's hit two home runs in one game. And he did that Saturday against the Tigers. And on top of that, ironically, Lindor's first major league hit came against the Tigers his first Major League home run came against the Tigers, and now his first two-home run game has come against the Tigers. I, I think it's just a, it's a no-brainer that Lindor makes the American League All-Star team, and probably Jason Kipnis, I think, will make the American League All-Star team, too.
2: I don't know about Kipnis, uh, but Lindor, the thing that amazes me about him at, at the plate, his bat is so quick. He, he can wait and he's, he he has that slashing swing. that it, It's it's really a quick bat, almost like it, it's a little bit when he's sitting left-handed. It, it reminds me of Rod Carew, that kind of just mm-hmm. whip whiplash bat that created, you know, what, 3,500 hits or something. So, you know, Lindor, um, I, I know you weren't a supporter of him early on. Not uh, at all. Not at all. Um but you can see the talent there, and he's going to get stronger. And with that bat speed he's got, when he just adds a few pounds of muscle, and he will, uh, he's he's going to be a formidable hitter. That guy could hit 15, 20 home runs a year.
0: Mark, well, he's got 10 right now. I know. Uh, yeah, but the thing about him is he has done something that not many players have ever done, Mark, and that is – hit better at the major league level than they did at the minor league level. That's almost unheard of. It's
2: it's not unheard of, and, and there's a couple reasons why uh, that, that can happen. You come to the major leagues, and now you're surrounded by, by better players. If you're in the minor leagues with Lindor's talent, he was a guy nobody wanted to pitch to down there. So he didn't get a lot of pitches to hit. You get anxious. You have, you have bad lights. You have a lot of things that... that you have pictures. It sounds strange, but there's a, not a theory. They say guys in the minor leagues throw harder on average than the guys do in the big leagues. You know the fastballs are harder. Their sliders are harder, but they don't have control. So it's hard when you go to the big leagues. Guys are always around the plate. You know, by and large, and you can hit, you can stand there and you know you're not your your ear hole is not going to be filled with a 90 mile an hour fastball. Uh, but there's a lot of little things that happen when you get to the big leagues, better better everyday training and better equipment and on and on and on and on and those little things add up to be able to add 10, 15, 20 points to your batting average, maybe not the first year but over time and that's why hitters develop. Look at Adam Duvall and, and guys like him, they get to the big leagues, they get better coaching and they get better. They lay off bad pitches, they, they have somebody hitting behind them to protect them, they All kinds of things go into that. But Lindor has, he's playing a premier position, and this guy's going to make a lot of money in baseball. I mean, he really is. He's he's going to be uh, a very coveted free agent guy in five or six years when his time comes up. So uh, he's got all the tools, and he could be a perennial all-star. He could be a Derek Jeter-type shortstop.
0: Well, we've put it off long enough, the... Pete Rose weekend in Cincinnati this past weekend. It, it turned out to be kind of a, a a boring weekend as far as the play on the field, but all of the off-the-field activities, Mark, I think the the Reds brought back Pete Rose with the embrace that everybody expected he would be brought back with.
2: They did a great job. They, they, they sold out all, all the games um, that he was part of. And, um, you know, the thing about Pete Rose, everybody likes Pete Rose. <laughs> That's the bottom line. He, he's unscripted. He's spontaneous. He's funny. He's sincere. He knows the game. All, he doesn't have a big ego. And he's, he's from western Cincinnati, and you can see it. He's one of the people there. And, you know, he, clearly there were better ballplayers than Pete Rose, but nobody played harder. <clears throat> and I don't think, I, I can't remember many, I mean, there are some, but there aren't many cities that have embraced a player like Cincinnati has embraced Pete Rose as one of their own. Uh, it, it's an unusual situation. Johnny Bench has never been embraced like that, like Pete Rose has been. I can't think of another Reds player that's even... Close to that, I mean, Pete is an institution in Cincinnati, and I would hope the Reds would find some way, and maybe it's in the broadcast booth, that you can, you know, he's got experience now with Fox, but he would he would raise the interest level with Cincinnati fans dramatically just by his presence.
0: Well, and and I want to get into the, the Johnny Bench thing here in just a few minutes. But right now, with Pete being enshrined into the Hall of Fame, we've got an excerpt from his speech on Saturday. You
3: know, I don't think if people realized all the years i played, I don't know if it was novel baseball or what it was. But if you think about Oster, Larkin, Buddy Bell, Dave Parker, Billy Doran, all the guys from Cincinnati, and I'm probably going to leave some out, we all played the same way. We all played the same way. We all played hard-nosed. We all played to win. I think not whole baseball instilled still in us when we were kids. Believe me, when you're a player in that dugout, you get the vibes from the audience. You get the vibes from the fans. And I think all the guys on the big red machine will agree with me. We had the greatest fans ever in the 70s. And I really believe this. Baseball capital of the world is their queen city you got to support the reds they're trying they're playing better you got to get behind them they hear you they know you're there i can honestly tell you to date this is the biggest thing ever to happen to me in baseball we all been raised the same we love chili we love pizza we love ice cream we love ribs, and we all love the Cincinnati Reds. Thank you all very much.
0: Mark, I agree with Pete. Every time I go down to Cincinnati to see Greg or, or whatever I'm going down to Cincinnati for, I gotta get some of the chili. Yeah.
2: And, you know, people forget too that that speech that you gave excerpts, excerpts of was a pretty long speech, and it was all ad lib. He, he did it yeah. with, no, with no notes, and that, that was really impressive to me. They probably practiced it a million times, and that's understandable, but he he spoke from the heart, and I think when people speak from the heart, the people listening can hear it. They can feel it. They, they know that it's real, and that's what Pete brings to baseball, and I think baseball in general has really missed an opportunity to use Pete as a an object lesson
1: of, Absolutely. of what he
2: has gone through and get him somehow involved with baseball just to say, hey, I screwed up. Don't be me. Here's what I did wrong. And go out and give speeches to all the ball clubs and, and all the players and go to spring training as an ambassador of some kind. I mean, everybody makes mistakes, and Pete made his. But, my gosh, it's been, what, 20, 30 years, and it's... Enough's enough. I mean, right. I, I don't understand it. And as you have said many times, when they want to make an extra buck, they roll Pete out uh, as for, for some events. Uh, but they're really missing the boat with Pete. He, he could really be a great ambassador.
0: Mark, quickly, what was Pete talking about there? For those of us who don't know, not whole baseball.
2: Yeah, th- that is a group in Cincinnati that started really back in the 30s, and not whole meant, uh, there used to be fences at major league ballparks and kids would knock out, you know, the little holes in, in okay. the fences and they'd look through and see the game for free. So it was called Knot hole, And then the league was called Knot hole League and it has produced an amazing amount of major league ballplayers. Pete's left off. There was probably another 20 or 30 that have come through that little league and ended up in the big leagues. And it's, it's very prosperous. Uh, they do very well, and they do a great. And the city supports it in a big way. As do the Cincinnati Reds baseball team. They support it. They have uh, kid glove games where uh, kids come in for free, and and they donate a lot of money to get equipment for the kids. And it's a first-rate. It's a first-rate group.
0: Mark, virtually all of the 1975 team was there. I know on Saturday night Joe Morgan didn't make it, but he did on Sunday. Um, he's, he's on a cane and he has trouble getting around. But virtually the entire team was there for the entire weekend, along with Dave Parker, Barry Larkin, Ron Oster was there. But that 75 team, as you brought up last week when we were comparing it with the Cleveland Cavaliers, when they won that World Series, it took a monkey off their back. And, of course, the late, great Sparky Anderson, who was the manager of that team, about a year before he died, he talked about the monkey that was on that 75 teams back and how they got rid of it
1: 75 was a great moment in baseball history because it was a moment of a bunch of guys that played absolutely together and they never played a part and when you get guys that do that you're gonna win and that's what they did They just overran people because they played together so well. And they had no animosity about being a star or this or that or anything other than just winning. And that's what they did. They loved each other. And I have to admit, I loved them very much too because they did something for me that I never thought might ever happen to me.
0: You know, Sparky, Mark, when he got the job, I don't know what he was, 32, 33, 34 years old, he looked like a 55-year-old. And (laughs) just before he died at 76, Mark, he didn't even look 76, he looked... 89, 90, 95 years old. He really aged badly.
2: Yeah, he did, and he had white hair when he came to the Reds. You know, as a Mm -hmm. young man, you're right, he looked much, much older. And he brought up something about the dominance of that team. And uh, for for the longest time, I was such a baseball nerd. I I used to record the score of every game. I had it on like a yellow legal tablet, and I'd have the winning pitcher, and I'd have the run scored and and all that stuff. And I remember that 75 team, and in a period between, I think it was the middle of May to end of July, this team won 41 out of 50 games, an 820 820 percentage, and I went back and looked. They lost five games by one run. (laughs) Of the the nine games they lost, five by one run. This team had a chance. Chance to win something like forty five, forty six, forty seven games out of a hundred. I mean, they were really unbeatable. I mean, they, they and they, they weren't. I looked at the scores; they weren't just beating teams. They were pounding these teams. And I made a note on, on of nine of their losses. Three of them came on Sundays when they rested the regulars, and they would have you know Mike Lum playing in for George Foster or somebody like that. They had Bill Plummer catching for Johnny Bench. Fans hated it, but that team, I'm sure there have been teams that have gone on that kind of run before. I don't know of one, but winning 41 out of 50 games is, is unbelievable. And they, I think they won 108 games that year and of course went on to win the World Series against Boston against one of the greatest World Series of all times. And you're right. That got the monkey off their back. And in, then in 76, they didn't win as many games. I think they won 102 games. But they won those playoffs, and they were a buzzsaw. They went through Pittsburgh, and as you recall, they swept a very good Yankees team with Thurman Munson mm-hmm. uh, four games straight and were hailed accurately as one of the greatest teams in the history of baseball. And I don't think that has gone away. I think they remain certainly... Um, in the top two or three, you could argue any one of the top two or three, but they're one of them. And uh, Sparky had something to do with that, but I don't think it was his um, managerial skills. I think it was his people skills—the way he managed 25 guys who all had, who, who all were superstars in some way. I mean, even their bench guys could have started on many, many other teams. So you had a lot of talent. But Pete said something yesterday on TV. I thought very interesting. He said, Sparky Anderson did not have one set of rules for everybody. He had 25 set of rules for 25 individuals. He treated everybody differently because they deserved to be treated differently, And that, which is counterintuitive, but you can understand what Pete was getting at. Uh, everybody, He said that the 25th man on the roster got the same amount of attention, but there was a different set of rules. And everybody understood that you earned your way up the ladder in terms of the kind of rules that you live by. Could you stay out later than some guys? You know where you sat on the plane. Yeah, you earned that by the way you performed on the field, and uh, that's what Pete was getting at. And that that was the genius of
0: Sparky Anderson. Well, there almost everybody was back. Well, I even saw Will McCahey there. Uh, but here's your trivia question for the night: Who cool. is the one player? That played for Sparky in both Cincinnati and Detroit.
1: Hmm.
0: I'll give you a hint. He hmm. was a pitcher.
2: I was going to say Pedro Borbone, but I'm not sure he was traded to Detroit.
0: No. Uh, Wasn't Pedro.
2: Um,
0: Billingham? Jack Billingham. Nice job. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, that that that's impressive. You know what surprised me, Mark, yesterday, there's been a lot of unrest between Johnny Bench and Pete Rose throughout the years. But it seemed like over this weekend those two if they haven't buried the hatchet, they put on a real good show that they have.
2: I think they buried that hatchet I think two or three years ago. There was another event there and I forgot what what it was, but it was clear that that, that whatever animosity existed uh, had had dissipated with time and I frankly, I think it's because Johnny's smart enough to realize that you don't you don't hold a grudge against an icon you'll lose and as the years have gone by, Pete Rose has emerged as the leader of that team as the guy who embodied the spirit of that team. And to to a person, I think if, if you talk to Cincinnati baseball fans, they will re- rate Pete Rose as their number one red. They will not probably rate Johnny Bench in, in their top five. He's just got a more abrasive personality. He's got a bigger ego. He's, uh, you know, that, that, that's Johnny Bench, and I'm not begrudging him. But Pete Rose is the man, and you don't want to, you know, <laughs> mess with the man in Cincinnati because Johnny Bench would lose that. He would lose in the public eye. And Johnny, of all things, he's certainly cognizant of his reputation and you, you don't want to mess with Pete Rose in Cincinnati.
0: Do you think Pete Rose is as loved and respected in the city of Cincinnati as LeBron James is in the city of Cleveland?
2: Oh, I think more. Only because Maybe in 30, 40 years LeBron will be remembered with that kind of, uh, I guess, devotion and loyalty. But, you know, I think people will also, there will be some people in Cleveland who said, yeah, but he left us to go to Miami. Uh, Pete didn't leave until the Reds traded him. Uh, LeBron opted to leave. So I think that's always going to be an asterisk on his um, his resume. And in terms of Pete Rose, when he came back, I saw that game on TV and he First at bat back into red uniform when he tripled, uh, slid in head first. I mean, that, that's like out of a book.
1: You know, you, you can't,
2: you can't write that stuff. And so, no, I think LeBron has a ways to go before he wears the, the Pete Rose mantle.
0: Well, you know, Bench went out the same way. Hit a home run on his, you know, his night to say goodbye. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah. Johnny Bench is a great player and he performed yeah, I, at a high I'm level. Not,
0: I'm not arguing with you about that. I'm just saying, yeah. yeah. But it's it's different. I mean,
2: personality-wise, there's a huge gap between the two. And I'm a Johnny Bench fan as a player. I've met him several times. I I thought he was kind of an arrogant guy, and as a lot of those players are. But Pete's not. Uh, when I met Pete, I, I went to dog track with Pete down in Florida. When I went to Dream Week, and he's like one of the guys. I mean, he's you he's, he wouldn't know he's you know Pete Rose unless you know he's Pete Rose. He's just a cool guy and. Uh, everybody likes him. He's funny, and, you know, he, he never turns his back on a fan. And uh, so there's a different personality mode there. But uh, I, I've always been a fan of Pete Rose, and I always will be.
0: I always I, – I've thought that Cincinnati – and I watched it a lot this weekend because I'm a big Pete Rose fan, too, as you know. I thought they did an outstanding job with the entire weekend, first class too. all the way.
2: Yeah, and they do that. just like the All-Star game last year. Uh, they do it the right way, they invest the time and the money to, to, to do it right, and uh, I have uh, questions about their baseball operations, but my, my problem with the Reds is not the Reds as an organization, it's, well, I guess in, indirectly they can't escape it, but uh, the, the general manager, in my opinion, has taken that team apart and made trades that were not in keeping with trying to maintain the the competitive aspects of that team. Their direction was, let's bury it. Let's be the Florida Marlins, Trade all of our good players and start over again. Well, all that does is say, that's going to be our strategy. So the Jesse Winker, who's coming up next year, or Adam Duvall, as soon as they get good, we're going to trade them all away and do it again. And that's what the Cardinals don't do. The Cardinals maintain. And that's where I, I, I took umbrage to Walt Jockety, because that's exactly what he was trying to do in St. Louis. Once they got rid of him, they, they became far more stable. And uh, Jockety came in here and basically dismantled the team that was competitive.
0: Mark, a couple of questions before we wrap it up for this week's show. First of all, I think the San Francisco Giants right now are the best team in baseball. Who do you think the best team in baseball is right now, as of today?
2: As of today, I think it's Cleveland. Interesting. I mean, if I, if I had to go and bet on who's going to win the next game, or in a, in a say, a five game series between the Giants and the Indians right today, that may change in, in two weeks, right today, I'd pick Cleveland.
0: The other question that I've got for you I, I'm looking at the, uh, which, by the way, it's just come across the wire that the Reds have recalled Jumbo Diaz. That'll solidify their bullpen. <laughs> But, you know, the team with almost the worst record in the American League, they're in last place in the American League West, are the Los Angeles Angels. They're 32-44. and They're 17 games out, Mark. They've lost seven of their last ten. Just how long does Mike Socha have to manage that team?
2: I don't know, but, you know, two or three years ago, he was considered the best manager in baseball. And the last two years, again, with an enormous payroll, that team has done nothing. And I think he is on the hot seat. And if the Dodgers can fire Don Mattingly, the Angels can fire Mike Socia. Not that he wouldn't find a job somewhere else, but you can't have two underperforming organizations in that market like that. And you wonder if it's in the water. I mean, uh, gosh, you got Mike Trout and you got Albert Pujols to start, and you think, okay, we can fill in the rest. Uh, the pitching staff is falling apart. Uh, their defense is not good. And that team is just not performing. And the, the big question is, you can't get rid of pools, but you can get rid of trout. And you could, I mean, think of the haul you would get from the Yankees um. or, or some other team, from uh, for Mike Trout. I mean, this guy's going to be, he is going to be a Hall of Famer. But, uh, the big decision the Angels are going to have to make after this year is, what do we do with trout? I wonder what the Cubs would give up with a a loaded farm system. They have a lot to give up. I mean they they have players waiting in line for that team because they've done it right uh in terms of drafting and 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 all that stuff. So They definitely do. And I would think that the Cubs would be a great spot for Mike Trout and my god the impact he would have on that on that town. Um I don't I mean the Yankees, I'm not sure they have the farm system that could make the Indians or make the Angels happy for Mike Trout, but the Cubs do.
0: Definitely. Well, and the Cubs will continue their series with the Reds coming up tomorrow and Wednesday, and then the Reds head to Washington for a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday afternoon game this weekend. The Indians, after tonight with Atlanta, they play the Braves again Tuesday and Wednesday night down there in Georgia, and then they go to Toronto For Thursday, Friday afternoon, that one's a strange start time. Friday afternoon, then Saturday afternoon, and Sunday afternoon. Mark, have a good 4th of July weekend. We'll talk to you again next Monday night. Have a good one, Dave. That's gonna do it for us on tonight's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Thanks so much for joining us here tonight. Glad to have you along here this evening. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing tonight's show, to Mark Donahue of Coast, but most of all to you for listening here this evening. I'm Dave Mitchell reminding you we'll be back again next Monday night, the fourth of July at nine o'clock with another Ohio Baseball Weekly show. Until then, good night. Kids, kids, want it.
1: Bobby Thompson had done it, and you'll be read the comics all the Rock
3: and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the
0: national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball.